Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's Monday, November 14th. From inside the WTOP newsroom, this is the DMV Download, brought to you by Steamfitters, Local 602. Get an estimate and learn more at steamfitters-602.org. Today, it's undeniable, there's a chill in the air, and the seasons are changing here in the DMV. So we thought it's about time we hear a winter weather forecast from a meteorologist and the Hagerstown Almanac prognosticator himself. We're actually going to have a colder start to winter, late November, into December, See, that's Chad Merrill, who marries modern weather forecasting with centuries-old methods of climate prediction. The Hagerstown Almanac has been with us now for 227 years. Wow. Thanks for joining us. I'm Luke Garrett. Megan Cloherty's off today. Prognosticator. It's not a word you hear every day. And I actually did a little check on the Google you know, reference page. Its peak use was in the turn of the 19th century, which makes a little bit of sense because the Hagerstown Almanac, you know, started pretty much 17, what is it, 1797, that is? Yeah, that was the first publication. This year for 2023 is the 227th publication, so it's been around for quite some time. And the voice you're hearing is the (laughs) prognosticator himself, Chad Merrill, who's also a meteorologist here at WTOP. Chad, welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. This is great. Yes. So, you know, first order of business. Um, At the intro, you know, I teased that we'd kind of get a prognostication of our future winter. So what's this uh, winter looking like from the Almanac's perspective? So we're going to actually start, we're going to have a seasonal shift in the weather. Last year, we had winter not come in until January and then kind of backed off in February and March. December was very warm. Mm. This year, we're shifting things forward. We're actually going to have a colder start to winter late November into December, colder than last year, I should say. And I think most of our snow accumulation would be December into January instead of January into February, March. I think Mm. we'll get into a milder pattern with better chance for mixed precipitation events and warmer temperatures during the second half of the winter. So yeah, kind of an earlier onset than last year for the winter. And I think overall in Washington, uh, snowfall is going to be similar to last year. In that 12 to 15 inch range, which right. is near average in Washington. Mm. We have the almanac, the Hagerstown Town and Country Almanac. It's right here. You can hear it, folks. There it is. <laughs> All the pages. Chad, uh, Chad brought in a copy for me. Very generous. And so, you know, when you make these predictions in the almanac, are you using the same methods they did in 1797 or, you know, is it new? Yeah. So there's actually the Herschel chart, which is in the almanac. And he was a scientist way back in the 1700s. And he studied the weather from the aspect of how did the moon impact the weather. Oh, wow. So he looked at different uh, moon cycles and how the weather was uh, a factor in that. So he has actually a chart where he diagnosed the weather forecast from the moon phases and put this chart together. Now, he took observations over several years, not just a couple of weeks, to put this together. Mm. So I do use the Herschel chart as kind of a basis for my daily forecasts. Nice. So I do take into account some of the older methods, but then I incorporate some of the more modern methods of of forecasting as well. 
And that modern method includes identifying analog years, mm. which are years which I think will match what the following year is going to be. And that's a big part of forecasting. And even in general with meteorologists today, when they identify seasonal outlooks is what are some analog years or years in the past that look similar in terms of the evolution of Enso, El Nino, La Nina, right. some of the solar cycles, and kind of put it all together for predicting ahead for the next 365 days. Yeah. And having this almanac in hand right now, it reminds me that, you know, weather is still pretty unpredictable. Obviously, we have a lot more technology, but we're kind of doing similar things that people did 200 years ago. You know, what is the weather going to be? How is it going to affect my work? I guess back then it was a little more tied to agriculture, but how's that relationship changed over the last few years? Well, in the last few years, what we've seen is all the technology that we have, we're able to look out and predict pretty accurately about four to five days in advance, where maybe 10 years ago, the accuracy faded after about one or two days. Right. So we're able to look out a little bit farther because of the technology we have and because of the superpower computers that NOAA has with these different forecast models. Mm. Uh, Seasonal outlooks are getting better in time. But seasonal outlooks don't take it on a day-to-day basis. The almanac has kind of a day-to-day basis or, you know, groups of days in which the weather is going to be a a certain way. Mm. But overall, it's the technology that has helped longer lead times for forecasting and accuracy versus 10 years ago and even 30 or or 40 years ago. Mm. And you kind of hinted at this, but what does an almanac give you that you can't get, you know, anywhere else? An almanac will give you not only the weather forecast for the next 16 months, at least you can see some of the trends in the weather, whether it's going to be a colder start to the winter, a hot and dry summer versus a wet summer. But it also gives you a table that shows the best days to plant your flowers. Mm. Because a lot of that, gardeners use the almanac because there are some correlations between um, having a good output of crop production or or a good um, yield yield of crops or flowers or having them survive longer if they're planted when the moon is in a certain phase, an up or down phase. Oh, wow. So that really helps gardeners come with a very or, or produce a very good yields for their garden versus just taking it on the whim and, and planting after the last frost. Right. It gives you so. a good lead-in, basically some good lead-in information. So how accurate are you? Like, do you kind of check yourself? How, how good is it? I, I, I do pretty good. Um, you know, in the Almanac, it gives you the, the uh, first frost and last frost dates. That's for Hagerstown, though. It's a lot different in Washington, D.C., because the weather's a little bit different. Um, you know, I find myself within 10 days of the actual hard first hard freeze and final hard freeze, which I think is a pretty good. Yeah. So what I've noticed is that I follow a weather pattern pretty good in there. And there are times when I'm a little bit maybe overzealous with precipitation. Like last year, I had a couple of snow events in December that actually were rain events. Right. But the dates were very similar. Mm. So, you know, overall, I, I follow the weather pattern pretty pretty good. Um, I'm usually off by – if I'm off, it's usually by like two or three days like right. when a weather event happens. Like I think I forecasted – if you look in there, November 10th, okay. I think I forecasted heavy rain. But really? not from a tropical system. Right. I'm but like, well, that's going to happen, happen tomorrow. Right. <laughs> so, I, mean, I did it. <laughs> that's cool, though. You, you publish this thing, and then, <laughs> then like, like, every day you're yeah. like, well, let I, me, I, I totally it. called it. <laughs> <laughs>
And we haven't really talked about the almanac itself. We've talked about its predictions, how it works. But, you know, people might be familiar with the farmer's almanac, but this is right. a notably different one. It's the Hagerstown Town and Country Almanac. What's the distinction between the two? So the farmer's almanac um, gives a national overview of the weather. The Hagerstown Town and Country Almanac is special in that it first began at a printing press in Hagerstown, Maryland. Wow. And the printing press is no longer there. It's the Maryland Theater in, in downtown Hagerstown. So the, the, the fellow that started to produce this almanac, um, and there's actually different varieties of local almanacs that have come and gone through the years. Mm. And the Hagerstown Almanac has been with us now for 227 years. Wow. So the distinguished factor is, A, it began with a fellow in Hagerstown, and B, it caters specifically forecasts for the mid-Atlantic mm. and gives you the planting information and the moonrise and moonset and all the different uh, lunar and solar eclipses that could potentially occur that year. But the basis for this local almanac is specifically the weather forecasts are more catered towards the, the mid-Atlantic, the day-to-day forecast, with kind of an overview of severe weather potential from the Mississippi Valley mm. into the northeast and southeast. But um, it's more catered to the weather in the Mid-Atlantic than the Farmer's Almanac is, which is divided into regions and gives a real general overview right. of the weather for the month based on, you know, seven to ten day mm. trends each month, where this one's divided up a little bit more. More fine-tuned for this area. Yeah, yeah. And so how'd you find yourself at the Almanac? You know, like you're a meteorologist, but, you know, <laughs> right. how, how'd you get there? Well, the former weather prognosticator who had been doing the weather forecasts for Gosh, I think since the 70s. Wow. Yeah, he, he retired recently. So they were looking for somebody to fill his shoe. His name was William O'Toole, and he did a really great job with the Almanac. And he was interviewed by multiple outlets whenever he was doing the forecast for the Almanac. Mm. And so they needed somebody to carry on the legacy of wow. doing the weather forecast. Um, and I found out through a friend of mine in Hagerstown, because um, I used to work in that area. And I applied for the position, and lo and behold, I've been doing it now for, for a couple of years yeah, so it's not very frequently that you see an almanac hiring for a weather person because they're <laughs> far and few between because there's only a couple of almanacs around. Right. No, totally. <laughs> but you've liked it. Oh, I enjoy it. I love the long-term forecasting even before I got the position with the Hagerstown Town & Country Almanac. But then what I did was I incorporated that Herschel's chart, which identifies the moon phase with mm. the, the weather, and then used my own my own information that I've developed in terms of seasonal forecasting right. through the years and incorporated some of the new methods into it, you know, to see how my forecasts turn out. And, you know, I, I will say that my forecasts are, are, are pretty accurate. I, I do. A, I, I find myself doing a, a pretty good job. Yeah. There's no way anybody's going to be 100 percent right. Right. Or no even one's like, got a crystal ball. Yeah. It's just, just it's, it's just not uh, the case. But being able to identify some of those analog years and then and then looking at climatology, what's the overall trend? The 30-year averages. Oh, wow. They show, you know, do we get snow in November? Well, the storm could potentially produce snow in November, but more recently, you know, probably not. Or, you know, there's just a lot of factors that I have to consider when doing these forecasts based on some of the latest trends, too. Yeah. I mean, you bring up the topic of climate change. You know, almanacs yeah. have been here for 200 years. Like if any place could really track that and chart that and have that data, like these published almanacs might. So yeah, when you talk about climate change, how is it impacting this region from an almanac perspective? It is impacting the region, especially warmer summers, warmer nights in general. Mm. We have in the mid-Atlantic, especially uh, more urbanized areas, and that leads to urban heat islands. So you get warmer nighttime lows and that 
spring's you know overall warming trend. And with these warming trends that we are seeing, especially with the overnight lows, that get, brings more mixed precipitation events rather than all snow events in the wintertime. Mm. Warmer temperatures in the summer. Um, also, the Atlantic Ocean has been relatively warm. It's been in this warm cycle for the last 30 years. Wow. Very, very warm waters off the coast. And that can influence the rain amounts in the summer, actually can enhance rain, mm. especially along I-95. So there's different climate trends that I've noticed with enhanced rain in the eastern part of the mid-Atlantic, some drier spots to the west um, in, in the mid-Atlantic area, and also some warming temperatures, especially overnight. So all those factors I take into consideration when looking at the forecast ahead. And that's something that, you know, when the Almanac uh, forecast back in the day, there was less urbanization mm. and there were some cooler temperatures. I mean, we've noticed overall, if you look at the climate data, a warming trend is distinct. There's a distinct warming trend across right. many major cities in the U.S. and, and around the globe, too, yeah. but especially here in the mid-Atlantic. Wow. So, you know, for some listeners who might not have ever looked or cast their eyes upon an almanac, you might they might think they're, oh, these are kind of old things. Not used. What, what do you say to them? You know, why would you kind of encourage them to pick one up? I would encourage somebody to pick up a Hagerstown Almanac because, again, you see the table that has all the different the, the best days to plant uh, flowers. Um, there's also more resources in the Almanac. We've incorporated some folks from the Penn State Agricultural Extension Office in Pennsylvania mm. to write some very um, informative pieces on um, gardening and agriculture, and that really um, hits home with farmers. Mm. So it's a really good source of information for gardeners and farmers, and we're trying to incorporate some additional information into the Almanac that you wouldn't typically get if you just go online to see maybe when the best day to plant flowers and, and, and so forth. So, um, and I've also incorporated some information from another meteorologist who specifically focuses on studying the stratospheric polar vortex, which can influence our weather. Whoa. So yeah, trying to get some other resources into the Almanac, um, helping to cater to not only folks who are interested in planting gardens and maintaining their garden throughout the year, but also for those who just have general weather interests, like with the polar vortex. Um, also with um, you know, there's an article in there about the, um, you see the smoky bear signs, low, moderate, high risk for fire danger. Well, what does that mean when you enter a state park? Yeah. Well, there's actually, it, there's actually some significant meaning behind those signs. And there's some action that the park rangers take based on what the threat for the wildfires is. Mm. So for those who want to go out to the park and camping, camping like yeah. stuff like that, um, these articles can help outdoor recreational enthusiasts kind of plan ahead and and get an overall picture of not only weather, but how weather impacts other operations like parks and and, and methods that they go through and so forth. Like, mm. so well, well, Chad, <laughs> thank you for bringing us, you know, this this almanac, and you know, for bringing us into this world of the Hagerstown Country Almanac. You know, it's been here for two hundred twenty-seven years. That's so crazy to think about. I know, um, and it's continuing on. And just thank you for bringing it to us here. And we ha also have on the website almanac.com now almanac. With a K. Oh, I was yeah. about, yes. <laughs> um, and that's the old spelling of the almanac. Um, so, and because we have to cater to the modern crowd today, uh -huh. not only do we have the print version, but we have a digital version as well. People can go online to almanacwithak.com yeah. and they can get a subscription to the digital format that gives you every single page that you would get in the print version, but as a flipbook image online. Right. Because there's a lot of people who reference you know, information online. So we have to cater to the digital audience as well. Right, right. Totally. No, everyone does these days. <laughs> Chad, thanks again. Absolutely. 
And after the break, I'll try to end a decades-old debate over whether vinyl is better than digital sound. We bring in our audio engineer at WTOP. Stick around. Backed by the experience of its hardworking members, Steamfitters Local 602 is ready to take on your next commercial heating, cooling, HVAC, or refrigeration project. Steamfitters Local 602 adds value to our community through its partnerships with local contractors and building owners, all while keeping the focus on improving the lives of its members and their families throughout the DMV. For work that's on time and on budget, go to steamfitters-602.org to schedule your next project. That's steamfitters-602.org. Steamfitters Local 602 changing lives. Explain your DNA on on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare Podcast on all podcast platforms. And before we go, David and I, and let me introduce David. David is an engineer here at WTOP. The sound you're hearing is really made possible by this guy, David. Welcome. Uh, as part of a, a larger group of people, a lot yes. of people go into the <laughs> way that true. the sound gets to you. David. It's not just me. Very fair. Very fair. Anyway, I'm bringing David on because I want to end this debate forever. The debate of is vinyl like a record player, the type of sound you hear from that medium better than the digital sound we hear through our phones. I think vinyl's kind of gotten really popular. It's even outselling CDs. Take it away, David. So I can decide this definitively with a yes and no. (laughs) Um, Really, when it comes down to it, the best way to improve your listening experience when you're listening to music is to have a good quality system. Mm. Um, uh, most of the audio that we listen to and where we get it from has high enough audio that 99.9% of people are not really going to find a difference. Mm. If you're on Spotify, if you're on Apple Music, what have you, they're going to play music in a way that sounds natural to your ear. Got it. If you have a nice big speaker system, you know, big, big speakers have the ability to produce larger frequencies, lower frequencies, mm. fill out the soundscape better. Right. That's going to be better than a phone. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe sometimes people have a vinyl system that they hook up to said nice speaker system and they find that it's a better experience. Right. Uh, there's pieces of vinyl that are also played out differently than when they come from a digital source. That's the, quote, warmness that you find mm. that people talk about, uh, how vinyl is much more warm and natural sounding. Right. Uh, it has to do with the fact that the sound wave is analog. It's, it's being created from a physical medium. Okay. That physical medium is the groove in the record. Got it. When I hear analog, I'm thinking clocks, like analog clock versus digital. Is that where my head should be at? Yeah, to to a degree. Um, So when you think about it, if you're going to take uh, a smooth curve and represent it in zeros and ones, Mm. eventually you're going to have to decide that that zero and one is is at a step. So if you zoom in on an analog signal really far in that you recorded into a computer, you're going to eventually see that it's actually lots of tiny little squared off corners. Mm. It's not going to be a smooth curve. Got it. Because smooth curves can't be created in the space of ones and zeros. They're discrete numbers. You know, they end. So 
when you're talking about vinyl reproduction of sound, when you're talking about vinyl versus CD, that's yeah. the best case scenario, right? A CD is is uncompressed. It hasn't been squashed down in order to fit onto your, you know, phone or mm. stream to you. There are certain aspects where vinyl is going to sound more natural because it has the ability to reproduce that natural curve. No steps. It's, yes, it's not. It's not a, a. It's it's not an amalgamation of lots of tiny steps. It's just little pieces. Mm. Um, however, there's pieces of that that don't work uh, in terms of the limitations of that physical medium. Mm. The the vinyl itself is just like the the material that you make floor tiling out of, right? Oh, they're it's, breaks. It's vinyl is vinyl is vinyl. Um, so <laughs> when you make a groove into that surface, there's a certain amount of resolution that it has the ability to actually fit on it. Interesting. And what that ends up meaning um, for the listener is that you get that warm sound, but it's actually warm because it is cutting off certain frequencies that it doesn't really know how to produce. Mm. Um, it's not that it doesn't know it. It doesn't physically have the capability to produce those frequencies. Right. So when it comes down to it, a more accurate representation of the sound that was originally recorded can be accomplished using digital means. Oh, really? It wow. has the ability to create frequencies that can't be repeated in a physical medium such as vinyl. Wow. That's not true of some recording. Uh, if you've ever heard about master tapes that they use when they're remastering an album, mm -hmm. those master tapes have a higher fidelity than vinyl does. Vinyl was created because it could be pressed out of a puck and sent off to users, you know, sent off to audiences uh, in a sleeve that looked nice with artwork. Right. It, it wasn't the same thing with a tape where you had to load it onto a tape machine and know how to deal with it. And, you know, they'd get scratched up and moved and yeah. fall apart. Um, so ultimately, the best case scenario for pure audio fidelity is going to be a reel-to-reel -reel tape. That's unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> right. The next best reproduction of sound, if that's all you're looking for, is actually a digital file. Mm. It's just a digital file that's recorded in a very high quality. So then what's the draw to vinyl then? If it's maybe... So personally, I have a pretty large vinyl collection. Oh, you do? Okay. I do. Interesting. Um, I have a nice old turntable that I got uh, from my father, who used to also be a radio engineer. Oh, look at that. And so this uh, this turntable lived in WBB's... Uh, recording studio for many years before wow. it was mine. Uh, the reason that I buy vinyl is because I want a way to own the music that I love, mm. and there's no great way to do that now. Why buy a CD that I'm not ever going to play because I don't have a CD player in my car these right. days. Don't I don't have one on my computer. Mm. You know, I could have a CD collection that I switch out and listen to <laughs> things like that at home, right. but if I want to support an artist, one of the best ways I can do that is by ordering the vinyl. Wow. They, they get the, the largest share of money from it, much larger than Spotify, Apple Music, or even CDs. Um, they tend to be more related to, it, it tends to be the actual aim of artists nowadays to um, mix things for their vinyl because they know that's where their heaviest fans are. Wow. And it lets you own a piece of that artist's music that you can hold in your hand and look at and hand down to your you know friends or your family, your kids, etc., uh, it's really the only modern method of contributing to an artist in a way that you get something in return that's that's permanent and lasting. Interesting. So the the real reason is you know emotional and literally like economics for your relationship with the artist. Less yes. so about the pure sound, even though there is that warmness you get. Yes, I I would say the number one thing that you can do to support an artist you love is buy merch at their merch table. It <laughs> right, has the too. best. It it has the best 
return for them, uh, and it gives you something to remember them by that's not a code on a piece of paper that says, I own this on Spotify. (laughs) And with that, that'll do it. Thanks, David, for uh, enlightening us about the, uh, the world of audio. Anytime. And that'll do it for us today on the DMV Download. We're brought to you by Steamfitters, Local 602, and our music is by Real World. Give us a review and rate our show if you get the chance on Apple Music, on Spotify. Give us stars and let us know how we're doing. You can also find us on social media and dmvdownload.com. The DMV Download podcast is a product of WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland, online at WTOP.com and on the WTOP News app. Unfortunately, WTOP cannot be found on vinyl. Have a good night and I'll see you tomorrow.